What a beautiful uh, Sunday morning today. Um, maybe the best of the year so far, possibly. And uh, as I was coming today, I, I noticed how people were outside and some were working in their garden. I saw some people mowing their lawns and uh, people were getting ready to go on a family walk. And I saw people loading up a boat to go out. And of course, some people ride motorcycles on Sunday morning. Um, that's a lot of things to do. And I, I just want to thank you for being here. Um, I appreciate it really very much. So, um, Bridge Kids, you are dismissed. Looking forward to that new building. When we will have a little more space for our kids. We uh, are going to look at a tough uh, section today um, in our series, Ready or Not. This is week number 12. Uh, I didn't plan to do 12, but I'm, I'm going to end with this passage today. And I just want to start by reading the passage, and I'm going to read uh, Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 6, and then we'll dive in. Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. The Apostle John writes, And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who was the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. And it, after that, he must be released for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Um, so um, today we're going to look at the Apostle John's vision of what is called the Millennial Kingdom. Now, I just apologize if you haven't been here, this is your first time, in that we have spent a lot of weeks building up to this, and uh, so some of this may seem uh, difficult. I'll try to put it together as we go. Uh, over the past several weeks... Um, so this millennial kingdom that is uh, what we just talked about in the Revelation 20 passage is, you know, it's called the millennium because of the term the thousand years. So is that literal? Is it figurative? And uh, that's a great uh, issue for the passage. 
Over the past several weeks, we've looked at many different passages that focus on the return of Jesus and the end time events. Uh, we looked several weeks at Matthew chapter 24 and 25. You know, we went through the, the whole, uh, we went through it verse by verse, and, and we learned what Jesus had to say about the end of the age. Uh, he taught that the end of the age would be a time of great deception on earth. Um, he said that many would claim to be the Christ. He said that there would be wars and rumors of wars. There would be famines and earthquakes, a lot of upheaval in, in the atmosphere. Uh, there, there would be, these would only be preliminary birth pains, like labor uh, in child delivery. They, they uh, become closer together and more intense as we reach the end. Nation would rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Uh, a time of great persecution on earth and Christ's followers would be hated by all nations. I do think we see the dislike of Christians grow as we go more and more. Certainly changed a lot of my own lifetime. Uh, many people will turn away from their faith there will be a fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 27 that Daniel gave in 586 B.C. It's called the abomination that causes desolation. Daniel referred to it. The apostle Paul referred to it. And Jesus referred to it. It's that time when a world leader will go into the temple of God in Jerusalem and he will proclaim himself to be God. Jesus instructed that no one knows the day or the hour of his return. But we must be ready, we must be watchful, and we must be faithful until he comes. I hope everybody can agree on that one. Um, we looked uh, specifically at Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 27. Daniel plays heavily in to the interpretation of the book of Revelation as well as the book of Ezekiel. Um, in Daniel 9, verses 20 through 27, we identify Daniel's 70th week, a seven-year period uh, of great tribulation on earth. And uh, it's also called the day of the Lord, at least that's part of the day of the Lord. A time of tribulation on earth, it includes a world ruler, the book of Revelation uh, refers to this as well, the world ruler going into the temple in Jerusalem and proclaiming himself to be God. Interesting thing, some of the interpretations of Scripture, look at the, most of the book of Re Revelation, like chapters 6 through 19, as already happened. Boy, if you read that carefully, it has not happened. The book of Revelation refers to... Um, that, that time, uh, chapter 6 through 19, to the time of tribulation. And in the middle of that is the abomination that causes desolation, referred to by Daniel. Uh, added to that, if it were fulfilled, a lot of interpreters see the fulfillment with 70 AD when Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. Problem is, the book of 
Revelation was written 20 or 25 years later. And um, the abomination of desolation hadn't happened yet. Um, okay, so we've, after the Daniel 9 passage, we looked at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. And that's when Jesus comes and, and believers on earth are caught up in the air to be with him. That's what it says. You know, I don't know how you spiritualize that. Uh, we call it the rapture of the church. The church is taken up. It's referred to in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 with the day of the Lord. And uh, the rapture comes first before the day of the Lord begins. Uh, we looked at the rapture on 1 Corinthians 15 on Easter Sunday. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we looked at the day of the Lord. And uh, the day of the Lord uh, begins with this time of judgment and then a time of blessing, and it ends with a short time of judgment again. And that might be modeled after the Jewish 24-hour day. When does it begin? At sunset, when it's dark. Dark all night, and then followed by day, and it ends at sundown. That's how it unfolds in the Old Testament and in the book of Revelation. Um, a day of darkness, the day of the Lord. Uh, clearly identified in the Old Testament prophets. A day of darkness, a day of gloom, a day of judgment. Um, and then it's followed by a great time of blessing. We looked at many passages about this great time of blessing on earth. And some just will say, well, that's heaven. And I think it's more than that. The prophets saw that it was more than that. Prophets like Isaiah and Joel and Micah, many prophets. Um, and then at the very end, it ends at sundown in darkness a time of judgment, and we see that today in our passage in Revelation chapter 20. So, as a way of, uh, you know, setting some backdrop to this passage, we're going to look, first of all, at the millennial confinement. The millennial confinement, chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. So, keep in mind, in the context, several things during end-time events have already happened in the Scriptures. Uh, one of those would be the rapture of the church, the first Thess 4 passage. Jesus has already taken the church up to be with him. As I understand it, this is my view, and I know there are people that disagree with me. You can disagree with me. I hope you have really a strong biblical perspective on this. The rapture of the church has already taken place. And then it's followed by this seven-year tribulation period, or Daniel's 70th week, it's a time of great evil and trial and testing on earth. It's Revelation chapter 6 through 19. And then we have the second coming of Christ. It's already happened by the time you get to Revelation 20. The second coming of Christ, not the rapture. The rapture is when the church is taken up. The second coming of Christ is when Jesus returns to the earth in judgment. Very clear. Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. We read that a couple of different times. 
Jesus will come in judgment, casting the beast and the false prophet, that world ruler, and he will have a religious leader. And they will be cast into the lake of fire at the end of Revelation 19. And so we have the confinement in verses 1 and 2 of uh, chapter 20. John's vision unfolds. Uh, We see what John sees. He says, I saw an angel, a supernatural being created by God to serve him, coming down out of heaven. John could see this, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. So this angel has a key. It locks and then unlocks something. In this case, it is the abyss. The abyss is mentioned nine times in the book of Revelation. It is a place of demons. And the angel has the key. And he's holding in his hand a great chain. What's it for? Well, he's going to use it to uh, imprison, to chain Satan. And this is what we see. Uh, in verse 2, he sees the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. John calls him so many different names here that identifies him with scripture from Genesis chapter 3. And there are more names that describe Satan. He is the dragon. That's a term used in the book of Revelation for Satan. Uh, He's the ancient serpent. Genesis chapter 3. Just in case you wonder if Jesus thought the serpent, he uses that term. Jesus does. This is Satan, the serpent from Genesis chapter 3. He's called the devil, meaning the accuser of the brethren, and he is your accuser. He's called uh, Satan, And that means he's an adversary. He's an adversary of God. And he's your adversary. And we have real spiritual warfare. I've talked to a lot of you who know you've experienced recently some serious spiritual warfare uh, going on around you. Um, So this angel, he came from heaven and he took this chain and he bound Satan for a thousand years. Now, I'm going to take that literally. It's mentioned six times in Revelation chapter 20. I think John understood it literally. I think God intends us to. I don't think it's just a spiritual idea. It's definitely a clear time um, marked out. And Satan is going to be bound for a thousand years. This has huge implications. Now, One of the things, uh, I think this is chronological. Let me tell you why. In Revelation 19, it's it's chronological to the second coming. In Revelation 19, verse 1, it says, And after this I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven. And it goes on saying, they were shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. The key point of grammar is Verse 1, the first phrase, after this. That's a connector chronologically with what preceded it. And then we come to chapter 20, and we have another connector. 
So connecting chapter 20, verse 1, back to 19, verse 1, and John writes, after he had heard this roar of a great multitude, I saw an angel coming down. That connects it. It, It's chronological. 19 and 20 are chronological. Satan is bound now for a thousand years. Well, why? The answer is in verse 3. He's going to be imprisoned. He's going to be incarcerated. He's going to be locked up. He's going to be chained. Think of the impact in our world if that were to happen. It's not if, it's when, okay? The answer is in verse 3. The reason he threw him, the angel threw him into the abyss. This is not the lake of fire. It's a place that incarcerates demons and locked and sealed it over him. Why? To keep him from deceiving the nations anymore because that's exactly what he has been doing. He has been deceiving the nations. Um, Definitely a reference to Gentiles. Certainly the nation Israel had been deceived as well to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. So there's a time marker for Satan to be bound so he can't deceive. It's so important we understand how how Satan works. And I think Christians, we get duped so easy. He's a deceiver. He distorts the truth. You know, it's so easy to buy into culture about what seems like common sense. It seems like Yeah, that's what we should do. And do we check it with Scripture? You know, does it it work through the filter of God's Word? And and that's got to be our measuring uh, stick, is is God's Word, uh, ultimately. And so, Satan deceives through ideas. It's the way we think. We're really smart people. You are really smart people. That can get us into trouble, too, if we don't know Scripture. So, if Satan is bound for a thousand years, what's going to happen? It's going to be a time of great blessing on earth. It's going to be a time when prophecy God gave in the Old Testament will be fulfilled. God made an unconditional promise to Abraham that he would bless Abraham's descendants in the land. The land is a technical term in the Old Testament. In the Hebrew, it's hieratz, the land. The promises of God go so much with the land. There was a Palestinian covenant in Deuteronomy 28 through 32. In the land. And the promises are going to be fulfilled in the land to God's people, Israel. God made a promise to David that he would have a a son, a descendant that would reign on his throne in Jerusalem. And this blessing to come is that fulfillment of being in the land and a descendant of David named Jesus Christ will rule to fulfill that uh, promise. Um, 
So now we come to verse, the latter part of verse 3, and we see Satan is released, the short release, verse 3. Uh, after that, he must be set free for a short time. So eternity hasn't started. The, the eternal kingdom hasn't happened yet. There has been a time of blessing on earth that fulfills promises that God made to his people in the land, physically, with a, with a king on the throne in Jerusalem, a descendant of David, physically. Not a spiritual uh, point, but a literal fulfillment. He would be he must be free for a short time after the 1,000 years. And why? Well, to deceive the nations for one last great rebellion. Jumping down to Revelation 20, verses 7 through 10. Um, this is not part of our passage, but this is really continuing the concept of uh, the millennium. The millennium. Uh, John writes, when the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison, from the abyss, and he will go out and deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth. So Satan is going to be let free for a short time to prove what humans do when they're left to themselves. That there is a real sin nature, and we are we have this propensity to do our own thing. And humans have the propensity to not pay attention to what God has to say. And uh, a thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out and deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. Uh, they just represent um, humanity against God, the enemies of God. And I'm not going to tell you that this is Russia and this is China or, you know, it's not what this is about. These are just enemies of God. And to gather them for battle because they're going to do a battle against God, against Christ and his army. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. This is a very large number. Uh, they marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people. The city he loves. What city? Jerusalem. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Didn't last long. And the devil who deceived them, that's what he does, was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had, had been thrown and they will be tormented day and night forever. And there will be a rebellion. And fire is going to come down from heaven and destroy the rebellion. And it's going to end with the beast and, uh, and, the, and the false prophet being uh, uh, thrown into the lake of fire. They will not be destroyed. They will face eternal punishment in the lake of fire. The, the beast and the false prophet are humans. Um, they, they have uh, supernatural power. It comes from the dragon. It comes from Satan. So now let's go back uh, to our passage, uh, Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 through 6, and we're going to look at the millennial kingdom, 
And verse 4 says, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. So here's the question. Who is given authority to judge? Who is given authority to reign with Christ? Revelation 19, Jesus will be the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Already happened. And now he is going to delegate some responsibility and roles to the people who serve him. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. Genuine Christ followers in the time of the tribulation period. They had been beheaded. They were executed. I don't know if they're going to bring the guillotine back, but there's going to be some kind of execution where Christ followed. The main way of execution is going to be beheading. And these are people who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received the mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They came to life and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Whatever you think about this passage, you have to answer those questions. What is a thousand years? What's going on here to reign with Christ? Probably everybody can say he's the king of kings. But what about this millennial kingdom? The beast is the, is, uh, the Antichrist. John calls, it the be- calls him the beast in Revelation. He calls him the Antichrist in 1 John. The mark of the beast is 666. Um, and so this, this number is going to be part of an, a new ID program that's going to be required for you to buy or sell to do any kind of official business. You know, people have tried to imagine, what's it like? is it going to be a computer chip? I don't know. There's going to be some kind of something that can probably be implanted that's going to have a code that's going to show your identity and that you have received this mark. That's who you belong to. Verse 5, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. The rest of the dead is a separate group. We're going to talk about them in just a minute. But then John says, this is the first resurrection. So who are these people? Who are the people of the first resurrection? Who are the people that will reign with Christ? So here's, here's what I think the scripture tells us. First of all, it will include the Old Testament believers. They will be resurrected at this time. Uh, Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people. Uh, this is to Daniel. Daniel, the great, Michael, the great prince who protects Daniel, your people, Daniel, the nation Israel, will arise. There will be a time of great distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. It's the day of the Lord. 
It's a time of the tribulation. Nothing like it ever before. But at that time, your people, Daniel, everyone whose name found written in the book will be delivered, Daniel. All those Old Testament saints will be delivered now. Multitudes, verse 2, who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. He's talking about resurrection. Multitudes who sleep in their tombs who have become dust will awake some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Be a resurrection for Old Testament saints and a resurrection for those who weren't saints and they will face a judgment. Verse 3, those who, uh, who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Those who live for God and show the way of righteousness will shine brightly for God. Also, another group that I think is going to be reigning with Christ are the disciples. The disciples will be included as those who reign with Christ. Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. This takes place the last week of Jesus' life. Jesus said to them, to his disciples, truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me. I think that's going to apply to us as well. You who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, that may seem hard to grasp, but this is what Scripture says. Uh, Jesus, he, Jesus went on, uh, uh, this is during the millennial kingdom, as I understand Scripture. The disciples will reign with Christ. They will be given responsibility to rule and to make judgments. They will have delegated authority directly from Christ. Also, in Luke chapter 22, verses 29 through 30, this is the night before his death. This is the, the time of the Last Supper. And he says, and I confer on you a kingdom, verse 29, just as my father conferred one on me, a kingdom, the millennial kingdom, where Old Testament promises will be fulfilled. It's just as my father conferred a kingdom on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, I think the disciples were clueless, but they really liked the idea of judging other people. But there will be a time that they would be fit for that role when they have a new resurrected body and they are like, they have a likeness to Jesus. Also, it's, I think it's going to include the raptured church. When Jesus uh, returns at the second coming, he's going to come to this earth. And scripture says that he's going to bring the saints with him. He's going to bring believers with him. He's going to come in the air, and then he's going to come to earth with his army, Revelation chapter 19. And I think that's going to include you and me. Whatever the case, in 1 Corinthians 6, 2, Jesus, or uh, the Apostle Paul, wanted the church to know that they would have a role in the future kingdom. 
1 Corinthians 6, 2, he says, Or do you not know the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you competent to judge trivial cases? Paul was getting on the Corinthian believers because they couldn't manage conflict. They got caught up in conflict. They were to be peacemakers. They were to have wisdom that comes from God. And yet they were all caught up in conflict and court battles. And Jesus is, or the Apostle Paul says, don't you know that one day you're going to be judging the world? This is something he'd already taught them. 2 Timothy chapter 2, also the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him in his coming kingdom. Now, some view that Jesus is only going to reign in our hearts. I think Jesus, is, his kingdom is, he's reigning in our hearts right now. But there's a time he's going to reign in his kingdom on earth, a literal kingdom. And there are going to be a lot of people with him reigning, sharing responsibility, delegated authority to serve him, to be responsible for creation um, and to bring many promises uh, to fulfillment. If we disown him, we will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Those reigning with Christ will include us if we know Christ as Savior. Whether you want the job or not, it's coming. You might as well think about it. How are you going to spend your time? Also, we have the martyred believers of the tribulation. They will reign with Christ. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8. And all the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast during the tribulation. Not something that's already happened. All whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb who was slain from the creation. There is an exempt group who will not worship the beast. And those are the people whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Those are genuine Christ followers. Revelation 13, verses 15 through 17. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast. This is a false prophet. He, 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 he's messing with religion. He's going to get people to worship the first beast, that great world leader. So that the image could speak. He's delegated authority. So this... this um, Second beast could speak and cause all who refuse to worship the image to be killed. Authority is going to be given to this one to kill those who do not worship the image of the beast. They will be killed. Christ followers, because they would not worship the beast. They would not take the mark. Verse 16, it also forced this, this second beast, uh, this this uh, false prophet also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands and on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which the name of the beast or the number, and we know it as 666. If they refuse the mark, they will be killed. They will become martyrs. These are genuine believers who are killed. 
Now, let me just read Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, one more time. And, and John says, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of um, their testimony about Jesus. They were sharing their faith. And because of the word of God, they were committed to worshiping God only. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received the mark on their foreheads or other hands. They came to life. They were resurrected. Their bodies were restored with their souls. They came to life and they reigned with Christ a thousand years. How long do you think the thousand years is? The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years so uh, who was included in the first resurrection? All believers. Old Testament saints, the 12 disciples, the church, and those who come to faith in this time of great tribulation. Who was included in the second death? Um, because the rest of the dead, verse 5, did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. Who were they? Who was included in the second death? Verse 6, blessed and holy are those who share in this first resurrection, the Old Testament saints, the 12, the church, and those who come to faith uh, during the day of the Lord. They are blessed and holy because they share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. Um, but they will be priests of God. Servants of God, mediators, worshipers, people who are responsible, people who have delegated authority to serve God and to do what God wants. I don't know all that's going to entail. It's fun to imagine. But there's still going to be a responsibility on earth. On earth. You are going to have a real job. Not only that, you're finally going to have one you love. Now, some of you have jobs you love, but a lot of you don't. And you're going to serve with a new energy and strength that you didn't have. And you're not going to be self-destructive. And you're not going to be a complainer. And you're not going to be anxious. And you're not going to worry. Who is included in the second death? The second death has no power over those who experience the first resurrection because they will be priests of God and will reign with him for a thousand years. Who uh, is included in the second death? The answer is all unbelievers. The second death is an eternal death. First death is physical death. The second death is an eternal death. Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 and 15. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. That is for unbelievers. And those who experience the first resurrection. The second resurrection is when uh, people are raised for judgment and they experience the second death.
Verse 15, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Very clearly, all unbelievers, their name is not found in the book of life. So, in light of all this, how then should we live? 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Peter writes, So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, this coming day, make every effort to be found spotless right now, blameless and at peace with him, with Christ. Spotless and blameless. Set apart for God to be holy right now. And, and the way I know how to do this is what Paul tells us in Romans 12.1, is to present my body to God as a living sacrifice. It's just yielding my life to God in the power of the Holy Spirit. And to, and to do that, I, just, I need to make sure that my life, that, that I have short accounts with God, that my, my sin is dealt with. If I need to confess my sin, I do that so that Christ can have full control of my life, so I can yield fully to him. Since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace. This matters right now. This is how he wants us to live until he returns. Verse 15, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. God is being patient with you right now. Sometimes we get distracted and we get headed in other directions and we think, oh, my life is so I can be happy and so I can be successful and so I can enjoy this life, so I can have the American dream. It's easy to get caught up in that, even though we're Christians and we know better and we, we know the truth. Um, but keep in mind the Lord's patience. Doesn't mean it won't be hard. Doesn't mean there can't be suffering. That doesn't mean you won't face great trials in life. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Salvation for you, yes, but opportunities for the gospel right now. So much uh, upheaval and confusion in our world. And God is just being patient with us. It means what's important? Our mission. Uh, Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples. That, that's our mission. That hasn't changed. With all that's coming and all that's happening right now, we have one mission. It means opportunities for the, for the gospel. We live in a broken world. We live in, in confusing times. There is political upheaval. Uh, there is moral upheaval. There is violence, murder, I didn't think we would get there like this in my lifetime. That's because I'm so old, but we've seen a lot of change. If you're a millennial, you've seen a lot of change. Um, if you're younger than that, you've seen a lot of change. 
We are in rapidly changing times, but our mission has not changed. People are dealing with anger and stress, opportunity for the gospel. People are living in fear and deception, and they don't know it. Opportunities for the gospel. God has given us good news to share, and it brings real, genuine forgiveness. It brings real freedom from sin. It brings a peace with God. It brings hope. It brings a secure foundation. God has given us good news to share. God has uh, given us a life to display of his grace. That's why we're here, to display his grace, not to be happy. And let's make every effort to represent him well and to be an ambassador for Christ. Today we're going to celebrate communion and um, we get a chance to reflect on our salvation, the cost of our salvation. We reflect on God's gift to us, the great exchange that he gave his life so that we could have life and we get to give our lives back to him when we understand that. And it's a chance for us to renew our hearts, maybe to experience forgiveness, because before we share in this time, we are to confess our sins. We are to examine ourselves before God. And so um, right now, I just want to take um, some time and let's just bow our hearts right before God right now. As you think back on uh, God's gift to you, what he has done for you, the sacrifice he made, the love that he expressed for you, that Jesus would die on the cross for you, that he would pay your sin penalty, and you don't deserve it, and he offers it as a free gift. How do you respond? Can you say, thank you, God? I'm so grateful. And as we think about this and as we re reflect, how have we been living? Are there things that we know that dishonor God or that di are displeasing to God? Can you confess those to him just silently where you are? Can you confess those as sin? Can you ask him forgiveness? Can you apply the, the promise that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness? If you know you failed God, just be honest with him and confess that back to him and ask for, for, his, ask for his forgiveness. And then God, I just want to just say thank you for the bread that represents the body of Jesus Christ. 
Thank you for the cup that represents the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you that Jesus loved us so much that he would die for us, that he would take our place. Thank you, God, for the privilege to know you and to serve you. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. So the way we do communion here at the bridge is that if you are a follower of Christ, you're welcome to join us. We have two um, locations, and we just invite you to come forward uh, right now. And uh, you can take, uh, it's a sealed communion. It has the bread and, and the cup. And then uh, you can take it back to your chair, and whenever you're ready, you just take it at your seat.